Talk is Jericho's The Pot of Thunder and Rock and Roll. And let's go. It's the Duff McKagan joke of the week. This Jericho is Duff McKagan calling you, man. I, I don't know if I told you, I took a, a real-life stuffed dog, dead, you know, uh, to an antiques roadshow. Uh, and the chap there uh, asked me, any idea what it would fetch if we're in good condition? I said, a stick, perhaps? Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right. Thanks to Duff. What you don't hear sometimes is the uh, ones that he calls in and he screws up and has to call in again. It's always a riot. But thanks to Duff for bringing the laughs every single week. And thanks to all of you who've been laughing along with the Winnipeggers every Thursday night. New episode dropped last night at 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook page and the YouTube channel. Dave Spivak, Ribo, and I are talking about our first yobs slash jobs since we don't pronounce J's. On uh, on the Winnipeggers, let's say there's a lot of delivery gigs, free food, video games, sheep manure. Uh, you hear a story about Dwayne Johnson, but not that Dwayne Johnson. Winnipeg's Dwayne Johnson. He looks like a ginger. Uh, they say he looks like a ginger puppet or something along those lines. Uh, the time Dave's dad forced him to get a job. It was actually a really great taping last night and a lot of fun. So come join us with the Winnipeggers. New episodes every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern. All right, today we're talking about 30 wrestling shows in 30 days with Hotshot Danny Dugan and AJ Sanchez. Danny runs the Canadian Wrestling Elite Promotion uh, based out of Winnipeg. He's been building steam and adding dates every year for the last few years. And the story of the company, the gimmick, if you will, is they do a crazy one-of-a-kind tour that's literally 30 shows in 30 days. They travel across Canada and until the pandemic, they hadn't missed a show ever, although they've had plenty of near misses over the history of the tour. Uh, over the course of this year, they had to cancel a lot of the scheduled shows because of the lockdown, because of COVID. But good news is the following shows will happen as planned in the month of October and November. So if you're jonesing for some live wrestling and you live in uh, kind of Western Canada area, get your tickets now at cwetickets.com and go check out one of these dates, 1017 Gladstone, Manitoba, October 26th. 2nd, Calgary, 23rd, Red Deer, 24th, St. Albert, just outside of Edmonton, 26th is Grand Prairie, Alberta, 31st, Halloween in Medicine Hat, the 5th is in Morden, they take it home in my hometown of Winnipeg on uh, uh, November 6th. Again, you can get tickets at cwtickets.com, the shows are great, lots of great talent, you're going to hear all about their uh, mindset, their business plan from Danny and AJ, they also talk about how CWE got started, some of the special guests they've had uh, on the road, Jake the Snake Roberts. Brutus the Barber Beefcake, oh, that didn't work out so well for them. They've got stories about traveling through the snowy, freezing, cold Canadian winters, vehicle breakdowns, special guests bailing out, all kinds of crazy obstacles that have happened on tour. But amazingly, like I said, they never missed a show. Very unique business model for wrestling. And Danny explains how he's not only been able to make it work, but also how he's managed to grow his company and add more cities to the tour uh, pre-corona and hopefully post-corona as well. So here we go. 30 wrestling shows in 30 days starts now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so um, a friend of mine, Jimmy Jacobs, uh, texted me a few months ago and let me know that he was on a tour of Canada, a very interesting tour, and I wanted to, to talk about that with the people behind it, and that's Hotshot Danny Dugan here, and, uh, and uh, AJ Sanchez is also on board. Uh, you guys are both Winnipeg guys? Yes, sir. Born and raised. Yes, sir. So it's really cool to be so because you guys basically did a tour of thirty shows, basically in thirty days. Yeah, we just finished up a tour of thirty-one, and that, that's pretty common. We do a couple a year, ranging from thirty to thirty-eight across the country. That's amazing, and the reason why it really appealed to me is I would have loved something like that when I was first starting out because that, that's that's not easy to do, especially with all the traveling and all that sort of stuff. What gave you the idea to, to try something like that? Well, when we first started running the, the tours, we were just running monthly events out of the city of Winnipeg. And as you know, being from Canada, there's not a lot of wrestling opportunity for wrestlers in central or western Canada to not only get on the road and travel and make a living here in the country, but to network and get out and make opportunities for themselves elsewhere. So 
we thought if we provided enough work for the guys here to stay polished and have enough work to be appealing for guys to come in from other territories, hopefully our guys would be connected with some talent that can get them on out of here and their work would improve. So that's kind of what the vision was when we first started putting it all together. So did you guys both train in Winnipeg? Yes, sir. I originally trained uh, under a fellow by the name of Gene Swan and then uh, a little bit later with hotshot Johnny Devine. How about you, AJ? Yeah, uh, well, I, I would use the term training in a very loose manner uh, originally, but uh, I had uh, trained with a local guy named Rob Stardom and then uh, got to work with Johnny Devine as well a little while later in my career. Okay, because it's funny because you, you mentioned Gene Swan. He was in Winnipeg working when I was working, one of the one of the, the Candelo guys. For sure, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's funny because I know too, and you guys both worked with Kenny Omega as well. Yeah, Kenny started probably about a year or two before I did, and I got an opportunity to do a lot of traveling with him uh, early in his career. And we did some some tag team stuff here in CWE the first couple of years of our operations as well. So he's somebody we know very well. What was the young Kenny Omega like? Probably the same as the uh, the old Kenny Omega. Not much has changed in that sense, and he's kind of always been a guy who's kind of gone to the own you know the beat of his own drum and has been very adamant that he wants to do things his way and his style of professional wrestling. And he's kind of stayed true to that uh, through his entire career and he's gotten where he is today. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, you definitely hit the nail on the head for that. It's, and once again, too, it's, it's cool that the Winnipeg wrestling scene, because I say just the fact that you guys are, are there and doing these tours, and I really want to get into that. But I think if you take people always talk about Canadians being great wrestlers and they always go back to Calgary and I'm like, absolutely not Winnipeg is the home of the best wrestlers. If you took the four best wrestlers from Winnipeg, they would easily beat the four best wrestlers from Calgary. Even if you're talking like Jericho, Omega, Piper, and Don Callis. Take those four. 100%. That's like that's like that's been a big common misperception of Winnipeg for a long, long time. Uh, just with Stampede kind of being the more prominent Canadian promotion to, to fans outside Canadian wrestling bubble, they always get that recognition and and get that fame. But uh, you nailed it. Even to this day, over the, you know, the last 10, 15, 20 years, I would put the, the top Winnipeg wrestlers on an independent level against any level of, of talent in any other part of the country, and, and we'd come up on top. Who's there now? Because if you're talking about you know the Canadian guys, they always go back to, you know like I mentioned, with Tony Candelo, and it was Don Callis' time, and then there was... Chichi Cruz and, and and Gene Swan and you know you mentioned Red Bastine Jr. and uh, El Flippo and Tulip and Captain Jones and Stan Saxon and all those type of guys. Who's on the scene now that uh, that's working quite regularly? Well, in some capacity, all those guys you mentioned are still kicking around. Uh, you know, whether it be just stopping by and, and giving advice to the talent or still performing themselves. But from that era, guys that are still performing. Uh, Wildman Furpo is going on year forty-four as a Winnipeg professional wrestler and he has no signs of slowing down he's definitely moving very slow so i guess he's slow in that capacity but he still has many years ahead of him i think he believes uh <laughs> easy rider just uh came back uh, from some some back surgery and he's back in the ring for the first time in a few years and i bl- believe that's someone you probably encountered in the wfwa days oh yeah for sure who else uh dr marty goldstein all, all kinds of guys are still kicking around from that era we even had Caveman Broda in a battle royal at sixty something years old a couple weeks ago. I was just going to ask that he's the he uh, the very first tour I ever did was I was doing the ring crew and Caveman Broda and Brian Jewell and I were the were, were on the ring truck and Broda used to um, he would go into grocery stores and take the labels off cans and then <laughs> go to the front and say I want a discount on this because I don't know what it is and they would give him a discount so he had a whole duffel bag full of silver tin cans and he didn't know what was in any of them so he'd be like you want something to eat sure what i don't know ah it's pork and beans or hey it's corn (laughs) (laughs) and i wouldn't be surprised if he's not doing that in 2019 (laughs) right he also uh was the first guy who ever uh dropped a knee on me from the top rope and i remember just being terrified like he went to the top rope and he jumped off and the, the knee started small and got big until it was like the size of Godzilla's foot to me. And then, of course, <laughs> didn't even touch me. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, he's great. <laughs> the most fascinating part of that story to me is there was ever a time Caveman Broda was on the top rope. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, Winnipeg's got a fine wrestling tradition, um, as you mentioned, you know, and, and we all grew up as fans and, you know, the different generations and you mentioned how you basically put on this tour to give the guys some work and yourself, I'm sure. How do you go about booking a 30-show tour in 30 days? 
Uh, at this point, we started about four or five months out. Um, luckily, you know, doing it a few years now, we've got the pieces in place across the country. But when we first started, we were doing about five or six. And then once we got those five or six down, we started adding an extra couple markets along the way and take a risk on them. Once we knew we were kind of solid on the, on the home base front. And, and from there, essentially, like the, the way it works in order for us to be successful is we've got guys on the ground in 30 plus towns. It's actually really amazing if you really break down the amount of people, the amount of work and effort that go into making this happen. Uh, but it's really kind of an old school model in the sense that we've got local promoters or local wrestlers directly in each of these local markets that are going out and securing sponsorship, getting the tickets to the outlets, putting up the posters, securing the media. And I'm kind of at the helm, just kind of giving direction on where things need to be and when they need to get done. And just trying to find reliable, trustworthy people that have a passion for wrestling that want to see you come to their town and, and do well and come back on a regular basis. Uh, because there's not a lot of major league wrestling coming up to a lot of these parts of Canada. Uh, you know, WWE is not stopping by Weyburn, Saskatchewan, or Service, Manitoba anytime. So they're, they're getting really excited for the opportunity to get some big stars coming to their town and for it to be on a regular basis. So more times than not, we, we find a good, good local ground team to get things done for us. And it's kind of trial by error to see if the town's going to work. And if it does, it sticks on the schedule. If not, we, we give it the boot and try to find something else and just keep on growing it. And I'm just looking at, uh, at your list here and it's Porters, the Prairie, Oak Lake, Yorkton, Creighton, Saskatchewan. So you're hitting a lot of the farm towns, Prince Albert, Eston, Red Deer. Edmonton's a bigger town, obviously. You threw up the Squamish, Kamloops, then Calgary, like you said, Weyburn, Saskatchewan, Regina, Souris, Morden, Thunder Bay, Elliott Lake, Kirkland Lake. I mean, geez, man, you put you're putting in a lot of uh, a lot of miles here. How do you guys travel each day? We we were crammed the car like a you know, a bunch of wrestling crowned in a clown car, so to speak. Uh, you know, you got the ring truck, you've got a couple extra vehicles on the road. We cram in and go, and it's you know very very much like traditional territory wrestling keeping costs down and trying to keep as you know much money in the bank as possible to keep on moving forward. And a big part of why you see so many of those small farm towns, so to speak, on the schedule is because as you know, like the Canadian geography is so spread out. Uh, you know, if you go to the American, you know, the American side of things, you go to any major uh, major city in the US, you can hit ten major cities within a three hour radius. Right. You can't quite do that here. Like just being in Winnipeg, Regina's six hours away and they only have hundred and fifty thousand people. So you kind of need to connect the dots along the way just for it to be economical in order to be able to travel and wrestle every day and make the most of your gas mileage to make it financially viable to do. So that's kind of how it all kind of puts together. Do you have a, a, a ring truck that goes with you as well? Yeah, we've got a ring truck that has a big trailer behind it and it's going town to town with us. So to me, the interesting thing about this is there's always, whenever you're traveling and, you know, especially I remember back in those days, uh, there's a car will break down, you know, uh, a, a wrestler will go missing because he had too much to drink the night before or whatever it may be. Do you ever have, I mean, like, like when you're going day to day to day, if that ring truck breaks down or if the car breaks down, I mean, have you ever had anything like that happen? Oh man. Yeah, that happened. Not this, this tour that just passed a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, the tour that happened in the spring, we had three ring trucks go down. Some of them being in the middle of the mountains and in the middle of nowhere. So some shows were at risk of being canceled. Uh, luckily, we were able to get you know, a rental or someone to go pick up the trailer on short notice, which would you know, have the show start late but still happen. Uh, other times, it wasn't going to make it there at all, and we had to get stretched by a local promoter, stiffing us on a ring rental just to make sure that show kept on going that night. We didn't have to refund people and reschedule a date. So it most definitely happens. It's a reality of what we deal with, especially uh, with the Canadian traveling, the Canadian roads uh, not being up to, up to snuff, especially in the northern parts of the provinces. It's a, it's a reoccurring thing. And like you mentioned, wrestlers may be partying a little too much and having a little too much to drink is very common as well. So that's, that goes with the equation too. How do, you, how do you sort everybody out? Like if you're saying if everyone's traveling together, like are you able to, to – the lemmings uh, that wrestlers are, you just have a lobby call and everybody has to be there on time and you leave sort of a thing? Yeah, that's uh, that's something AJ could probably touch on because he's kind of one of my lead foremen, so to speak, in terms of how the crew is coordinated, especially with how big it's gotten and how much responsibility I have to take on day to day with just media and sponsors and the venue and such. But that, that's pretty much it. You're you're given kind of you're you're, you're designated the vehicle you're traveling in, and whoever's running that lead on that vehicle, he's going to tell you a time to be there. And if you're there, great. If not, you better find another way to get to Swamish, BC. <laughs> tell us more about that, AJ. How do you uh, how do you kind of uh, lead the the charge there? Yeah, so I just wanted to touch more on like the just real quick on the on the vehicles breaking down. There was one time where we had to 
go from Red Deer back to some small town in Saskatchewan to pick up a vehicle to try and get to Grand Prairie, Alberta on, on two tours ago. And it literally was a 16 hour overnight drive uh, after a show in Red Deer just to try and make it to the next day in Grand Prairie. Like it was, uh, you know, it was ridiculous. Um, right. But yeah, touching on the call time, essentially, Danny, Danny sets a call time. And uh, at this rate, you know, we're all adults and we just hope that everybody's going to, to make it to the next town. Essentially. I think it, it used to be a bit more strict, uh, maybe a couple years ago when we were touring, uh, as far as call times and being there at a certain time. Unfortunately, some adults aren't uh, able to make those call times all the time, or or taking their time doing certain things. But if the ring crew and the guys get in the ring truck and they get there and they set up, and sometimes guys are late, and that causes frustrations, of course. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, everything seems somehow I don't know how things seem to, to make, make themselves work out and the shows, I don't think we've canceled the show yet uh, on any of these tours, despite several, several breakdowns. Let's talk about how the road travel actually works to these tours and we'll get into that. But first I want you to hear about my one, two punch to deal with pain and muscle soreness after AEW matches. I'm using Omax cryo freeze CBD roll on coupled with the brand new Omax crypto freeze CBD advanced joint defense supplement. These two Omax products have been game changers for me. You guys know I've been using the Cryo Freeze Roll-On for a while now. I roll on wherever it hurts, and the pain pretty much disappears. It's amazing. But I just started taking the Cryo Freeze CBD Advanced Joint Defense as well. This stuff is a once-a-day supplement, and it's made from hemp-derived CBD, and it's a clinically proven ingredient called NEM that relieves joint discomfort and soreness in seven days or less. This breakthrough formula can reduce aches and pains from sore muscles, joint overuse, and just plain old aging. And if you're a super active person and you want to stay that way as you get older, this supplement is a must for muscle recovery. It'll also improve your flexibility and long-term joint health. CryoFreeze Advanced Joint Defense also has no THC, and our friends at Omax make sure that it's third-party tested so you get 100% premium quality that you can trust. So how do you get your hands on Omax CryoFreeze Advanced Joint Defense? Lucky for you. I got you. I got the hookup. But hey, it's only for a limited time, so you got to take advantage of it now. You get 20% off the introductory price when you use my promo code Jericho at omaxhealth.com. This discount also applies to any product site-wide through the end of this month. So just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code Jericho to get 20% off the CryoFreeze Advanced Joint Defense and anything else site-wide. That's omaxhealth.com. Use my promo code Jericho and check it out now. Is everybody staying in hotels? You're getting a little bit of everything, and that's that's what I mean by it. it's like we're we're keeping costs down. Sometimes like we're we're you know we got a nice hotel sponsored in town that we're staying at, and there's other times we're in major markets where some of the boys are at, where we're shacking up with the boys. Or now you know you have Airbnb, which is highly popular and a good viable option on the road. So it's really a grab bag of things every single night we're going. So whatever's the most cost effective to keep us, like I said, as much money in the bank as possible and keep moving forward. So there's times there's four of us crammed in a really really crappy hotel room in Nipawa, Manitoba, just to make a couple extra bucks to go to order food the next day and you just keep on moving forward because it's either the money goes to the hotel to get an extra room so everyone's comfortable or it goes in your wallet so you can eat the next day. <laughs> it's old school uh, wrestling touring there for sure, right? That's right. Are you responsible for paying for the hotels for the guys? Yeah, 100%. And wow. first and foremost, like, we try to go in and, and get a a sponsor to cover it. And luckily we were very blessed to have a lot of sponsors across the country that kind of take care of those accommodations for us. But there's not always that, that case when we're going into a town or especially a new market we haven't established ourselves in yet. So yeah, we're, we're covering that out of pocket. So once again, that's when you're cramming the guys in and trying to keep the expenses down. So when you're going, I mean, I understand if you, if you mentioned, you know, Suras and Nipawa, there's usually probably a community center that you go in, but when you're doing Winnipeg or Calgary or Edmonton, those bigger cities, where, where are you performing at? Where are you putting the shows on? A lot of times when we're doing it at just different local event centers, and there's a lot of different popular event centers now in Winnipeg and, and places like Calgary, but it's it's very much indie wrestling at its core. We're doing school gymnasiums, we're doing legions, uh, we're doing community centers and everything in between. Pretty much anywhere we can set up a ring, and we've even accommodated the ring to have a set of low posts for places with low ceilings if, if it's necessary. So we're really covering all our bases to make sure if there's a hall in town and it's affordable to do, we can get a wrestling ring in there. What kind of crowds are you getting? Like, tell me your biggest crowd and tell me like your smallest. Man, it's really a grab bag. Like, especially when we're trying out some new markets, there'll be times they'll have 30 people in an audience. And then you get to some of our bigger markets, like Winnipeg, Thunder Bay, and you're getting anywhere from five to 700 people. So it's really going to vary week to week. 
And, and for the most part, it's pretty consistent where you're hitting at, you know, anywhere from, from 250 to 500. And then from there, you're having the ones that just completely shit the bed and you're wrestling in front of, you know, you know, there's more guys in the locker room than there is in the crowd. And you just kind of scratch that one off the list and you keep on moving forward. The smallest crowd I had was uh, seven, seven people in Rimby, Alberta. So you might want to stay away from Rimby. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those ones where, like you said, like you can like working in front of a big crowd is way easier than working in front of a small one. Yeah, yeah. Because you get those <laughs> you get those sparse crowds of twelve, fifteen people. They're not impressed that they're one of twelve people that were stupid enough to show up. That <laughs> That's night. right. Yeah, and they're they're they're, they're not uh, they're not overly excited to be trying to make noise and make up for the people that didn't either. So it definitely is a challenge. But the ones that do invest in it, it ends up being a fun night. So all involved, uh, minus the envelope at the end of the night. <laughs> <laughs> when you can see each individual person in the crowd. That's when you know it's bad. Like, oh, there's the guy in the there's a guy in a red shirt, and there's a lady, and there's a kid, and that's about it. <laughs> so when you're when you're uh, like paying the guys, Danny, is it a weekly check that you do? Is it nightly? Are you offering guarantees for the tour, or is it kind of a percentage thing? How do you budget that? So that's uh, that's paid nightly off the gate. So that's kind of been how we've been able to keep on growing as a company and keep on adding more markets. Is you know now doing this for eleven years, I've got a very very good crew that's that's understanding of the vision and understanding of the model we're trying to build so we're able to kind of take chances and do those you know 38 tour towns instead of a 15 tour town or sorry schedule um, where guys are being paid based on how the show does that night so if we go in and we build up the town and we're doing good business it's reflective of, of everyone's envelope at the end of the night but at the same time if we go into a town and it doesn't do very well i'm not at risk by not having a guarantee out by losing thousands of dollars in the company, possibly kind of being put under right. or in a really bad position for the weeks to come. So luckily, usually more times than not, if not every time, balances out in the end where guys are coming out really well ahead and doing great for themselves and they keep on coming back. But there's there's definitely some nights where you're probably looking at them and going, oh, what am I doing up here in Canada at minus 50 in the middle of December? <laughs> and how do, you, how do you judge that? Like, do you tell the guys we'll give you a percentage or we'll give you 1% of the gate? Are you that specific about it? Or is it just kind of like you just kind of divvy it up at the end of the night and which way you feel the guys that were kind of the bigger names on the show or, or that sort of thing? Yeah. Like, those, like we usually have a tour headliner. Like we'll have somebody come in who's, you know, got some former WWE or WCW TV experience that comes in as the draw for us. You know, that person's working off a guarantee to be on the tour, but everybody else is kind of working together as a team to build it. So it's, it's divvied up pretty evenly, you know, with there being a bump here and there for guys that are doing some extra work on the road. Um, but it, it very much is an honor system. There isn't an official system set in place, but the guys aren't stupid. They can look into the audience and see if a show did well or if it didn't. And kind of based on the sponsors and how, how things are kind of put together in the town, if the show made money or not. So there really hasn't been much trouble or any discrepancy in that case where people are like, hey, you're kind of shorting me tonight because the house is good. The envelopes are usually very, uh, very good as well. AJ, how is it for you doing like 30 shows in 30 days, even as a performer with all the bumps that you're taking and that sort of thing? So, you know what that means? It can be obviously passing on the body. Uh, I've been working now about 17 years. So I've, uh, learned that, uh, you know, maybe, uh, when we draw that 20 in, in small town <laughs> service, that I'm, I'm not taking a bump uh, every night or keeping them to a minimal. Uh, still working hard, obviously, but uh, I mean, you're essentially, you're, you're on the road there. I mean, you know how it is. You're, you're, you're making a living and, and trying to, you know, make a go at this. But I've, I've, as I've gotten older, I've gotten smarter about, you know, picking where, picking my spot essentially and making sure that I'm not, you know, getting dropped on my head every night. I'm also a, a pretty big guy. So uh, if I don't want to fall, I, I will definitely not be falling. <laughs> No, but that's the thing too. I remember doing that. I mean, with 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 Lance and with with Doctor Luther, and and you know, you're almost having comedy matches, which are just as entertaining as high spot matches, anyways. And like you said, when you got 20 people in there and there's 15 kids that just want to, you know, yell at the bad guys, it's really not as hard as as, as people make it out to be to have a good show by not taking any bumps. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, you can notice when the guys are, are in front of a crowd like that and, and they're having fun. And, and I think the people that are that are in attendance kind of realize like, hey, they're having fun. Why don't we have fun? And it, it translates. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of that. So Yeah, and a big part of what they said, like when we and that's we're really blessed. We have a lot of top professionals that come in that, you know, you mentioned like Jimmy Jacobs, who's been wrestling for 20 years. 
we got a lot of guys from Ring of Honor that come up that are so excited. They don't have to work the Ring of Honor style and work a traditional Yehboo Canadian wrestling style on, the, on some of these small towns that they don't get the opportunity to down south. But it really makes such a difference uh, when you're dealing with professionals opposed to guys that are maybe just starting out or don't have that polish because there have been tours where you're working with guys that are very green, just looking for an opportunity, and they're coming up, and they are kicking the shit out of you every night. Mm-hmm. And that adds up after 10, 15, 20 days. But like this previous tour we did, after 30 days, I legitimately could have went another 30 and, and not broke a sweat because of it, because I was in the ring every single night with guys who are so light, so professional, their psychology is bang on, that they don't need to physically run you down or beat you up to death uh, to get over or get you over. So it really, really, really helps having a professional top-of-the-line crew kind of taking care of you night tonight as well. That's a real big part of keeping the body healthy. Yeah, and, and you said something. When I, was, I did Germany back in 93, and it was six weeks, six shows a week. So you got, I think we got Mondays off, and it was in the same city, Hamburg, every night. And I'll tell you what, at the end of that six weeks, or you know, three week, three or four weeks in, I was really good. Because like you said, you're, you're thinking every night, you're working physically every night, but mentally, psychology, putting together matches. It was different there, too, because you're in the same building every night, so you had to change stuff up because you had the same fans coming to see it because it was a tournament. But the frequency of that was really sharpened my skills, and uh, I felt really, really good after that, that six weeks was done. Yeah, and you notice, like, especially like when you work independence, and I, I know it's probably been a very long time since you've done fun. Um, but like in today's today's world of independent wrestling, so many guys are only wrestling a few times a month. And it's a major difference getting in the ring with somebody who's only going, you know, four or five times a month opposed to guys that are on the road doing it that many times a week um, every month of the year. It's a drastic difference in ability. And sometimes it's just not getting those reps and that's preventing guys from developing. And when you're in the ring with guys that good every single day, like I can understand why, you know, the wrestlers of the, you know, the 80s and the 90s were so talented because when you're wrestling that often against talented guys, like if you don't pick it up and learn how to do it, like there's probably something off with you and you should probably find another profession because it's it's fairly simple once you get in there with the right mind, leading you through it and getting you where you need to go. Obviously, the guys have merch. Do they, do they do they sit at the merch table? Do you do meet and greets before? I remember Candelo used to do the Polaroids after the show. Are you doing anything like that? Yeah, that's honestly the bread and butter on these tours and then how most of us come out, you know, doing really well financially opposed to what you're getting paid each night. It's, it's definitely a merchandise and it's still very prominent today, uh, right from the meet and greet. You know, you're, you're charging an extra you know, premium on the ticket for, for talent to come in and meet the entire crew ahead of time. So the office is getting a bit of a kickback towards cost. And then the boys have an opportunity to sell directly to the audience. And then most of them are going to stick out there for the general admission as well and then be back out at the intermission to show. So, you know, everyone's packing their, their shirts and their pictures and that's where that money's being made. How about for you, AJ? Are you, are you doing some good merch on, on the shows? Because I know a lot of times when you go to these towns, you know, f- fans know WWE or, or AEW. They know what they see on TV. Are they excited that the wrestling is in town? Are they buying merch? How is that going for you? So I generally work as a heel. Gotcha. So my merch sales are probably not nearly as good as, say, Danny's are, but uh, who works as a babyface. Uh, but I find um, it, it's the turnaround. So when I, we go and do a 30 plus show tour and then um, come back the next time or a couple months later on the next tour, I find uh, after people have gotten the opportunity to kind of see me work, you know, a, a relationship's kind of built. And I find coming into the town probably the second or third time is, is when my merch sales kind of tend to tend to go up again as a heel. I'm probably not, I'm not selling as much merch as a, as a top baby face like Danny there, but uh, it definitely goes a long way in making sure that these uh, tours are, are financially profitable. Well, yeah, that, and that's I can see that for sure. Because when you're like like you said, if 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 you're going on 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 getting paid off the gate, and if you do have two hundred people there, you know the merch that you sell could be almost as much as as your payoff is, if not more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 Canadian wrestling fans are very loyal and very supportive, and and it doesn't matter which part of the country we're in. That's kind of how the, the brand has continued to build. Is once we get people in the door, we've got a very high rate of keeping them there and kind of become part of the, the family. Like they're part of the push, part of the grassroots movement with us to keep on growing. And they're bringing more people and helping us secure sponsors in the town. And I think they have an understanding that that goes a long way for the guys being successful on the road as well. And they're very, very giving in that sense where a lot of people are very supportive knowing that goes towards the bottom line of these guys doing it and do it more so 
for that reason, just as much as they do, uh, you know, having the merchandise as a collectible. Do you uh, go back to the same towns every tour? Like you said, you, you drop the, the bad ones, but is the majority kind of a, a little bit of a circuit that you're putting together? Yeah. So like that tour you mentioned that we just finished, that's pretty much the circuit we're running right now. You know, and then we towns that don't do well, we'll kind of cut them out of the following tour and then try something else around a town that we know is going to be really successful. So we kind of piggyback if it doesn't do well. Uh, but for the most part, that's the way it's been. We were, we were prominently running Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta for about three years. And in the last year and a half, we've expanded further into eastern Ontario. And we just did our first events this year in Toronto and Ottawa and announced our debut in Montreal coming up in the new year. And then we just started going out west as well, uh, going up to Prince George, B.C., Williams Lake, B.C., and just did our first shows this year as well in like the Vancouver area. So we're trying to cover and go coast to coast because that's one one thing Canada's never really provided as a, as a wrestling organization has been its own national touring company. We've always kind of piggybacked WWE or WCW or whatever the hot American brand is. We're kind of getting it by association. So we've never really had our own representation of a national touring company and we're trying to fill that void and try to make some history in the process i think it's a great idea man like i said just the fact that we're talking uh, on the show now it's such a, a a unique idea and an original idea and, and i didn't realize that you did it regularly i'm sure there's guys coming out of the woodwork trying to get booked on on these tours now yeah it's crazy like it's like as a wrestler i always try to be you know, respectful in the fact that I, I like to try to get a response from every promoter that I, I reach out to, uh, which is never the case. So I try to be as respectful as possible and, and get back to as many guys as I can. But it, it gets pretty overwhelming now that we're running as many dates as we do because there's nobody. WWE isn't running as many dates uh, back to back anymore. Uh, you know, maybe throughout the year, yes, but not, you know, in, in two or three individual tours throughout the year. So we're really getting hit up by all ends. You know, the tour this year we had, I think, talent representing seven or eight different countries all on the same tour here in Canada. So people are coming from all over the world. I think as much as Canadian wrestling has been kind of put on the back burner in, in some people's minds, it's still very much respected as a great wrestling country. So we get reached out to by a lot of people from international countries that want the opportunity to wrestle in Canada because of the great wrestling tradition and heritage here. So a lot of guys reach out with that hope in mind. They can participate in Canada and wrestle just like the Hearts and, and yourself and Benoit, etc. So we're trying to have our pick of the litter right now. It's, it's a really good spot to be in. So how, how do you put together the roster then? Well, realistically, uh, in this day and age, it's pretty locked with guys that come in and they've been a part of the movement since we've gone from doing you know, 10, 20, 25 show tours to the level right now. They've been a part of the team and helped it grow to this level where it's now being financially beneficial for guys. I try to take care of them first and foremost and make sure they're invited back. And if their schedule is available to do so, they always have an opportunity to come on back and do it. And if for whatever reason, whether it be availability or injury that kind of takes them out of the game, then we start, you know, opening up the books and seeing who's been reaching out and who could be a benefit. And whether that be, you know, somebody with some great veteran experience from another part of the world that can add some different flavor to the tour or someone from another country that could possibly come in and, and be a benefit to the crew, both as a wrestler or to network to get guys out. That's kind of kind of where we're going first and foremost. Or we just see somebody young with a lot of potential that we know is going to be a big star. We'd like to try to get our hands on them and get a fingerprint on them before they go on to do some other stuff as well. When uh, you mentioned it, I know that you had Hooventude on this tour. Do you try to put together a top-level match, or does Hoovy work with, with your best guy? I mean, how, how do you get the main event for the show? So generally speaking, like when, when someone like Hooventude or any of the other headliners that, that come in, it's going to really vary on the market. If we're going into some of the smaller markets, uh, some of the small Saskatchewan or Manitoba markets, that's usually where we're going to give our younger guys on the card an opportunity to work with them because it's going to be a smaller, smaller crowd, less pressure, and it's, it's not going to be make or break for the brand if it doesn't go well and then needs to be tweaked better for next time. So that's usually the challenge of doing that. But when we're going into Winnipeg or Thunder Bay, or Calgary, Edmonton, where we know we're going to have our bigger houses and there's more eyes on us with, with more regular wrestling fans. That's when we're kind of going guns a-blazing and putting our best talent in there and putting our best main event forward to make sure that we keep those people invested in the product and make sure we're, we're you know being competitive with the other local groups that are running in the area. Who have you used as, as headliners before besides Hoovy? Oh, wow. Man, that's dozens. Uh, you know, we, we've gotten the gamut from doing, you know, Legends. We, you know, one of our most successful tours was, you know, Jake the Snake Roberts, who is a, you know, a great draw for us up here in Canada and a great mentor in the locker room to the guys. Uh, Ron Simmons. Uh, we've had Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Psychosis, uh, the New Age Outlaws, Billy Gunn and the Road Dog. Pretty much anyone from any era 
of the 80s or 90s has probably been up here at some point. So I think we're going on close to you know 80 plus WWE names that have been up this way and on tour or on multiple events at some point. So we try to kind of run the gamut. Uh, Canada's very back back uh, stuck in time a little bit in the sense that wrestlers from the 80s or the Attitude Era are still very very big stars here. So uh, we try to lean on them more times than not to come in and draw. You know, not only you know the fans, but uh, you know they add a lot of credibility in terms of drawing media attention for us. Uh, if we're going through, you know, Western or Central Canada with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase or Jake the Snake Roberts or Demolition or, or someone of that nature, more times than not, we're ending up on every local radio station, most TV stations, in the newspaper. So we try to lean on those guys for a lot of that just to kind of create some brand awareness and then hope that, you know, people come out, check out the show, enjoy the local talent and keep on coming back regardless of who the headliner is. So all those guys you mentioned have been on the 30-day tours? Not, not uh, Jake Roberts and... Mr. Wonderful has been on 20 plus day tours. Yeah. Wow. But Mr. Wonderful's not wrestling though. Actually, oddly enough, he uh he wrestled his first match since 1993 or whatever it was on in Brandon, Manitoba 2 years ago. We were able to talk him into it near the end of the tour to jump in and do a six man with us. And uh I went up to Paul pretty sure it was going to be a no to get out of here and said, "Hey, we have this idea and you know, we're going to set up and do a six man tag for the main event." And he just looked at me and said, well, you better have an extra pair of knee pads. <laughs> well, <laughs> and it was incredible. Even at 60 plus years old, when he got that tag, he came in and it was 1985 at the garden all over again. <laughs> but for the rest of the tour, is he just doing like uh, like a meet and greet sort of thing? Yeah. Generally speaking, when we have the legends that are no longer active in the ring, they're kind of being brought in as like a special guest enforcer or they're being a mentor to, you know, a baby face for grooming and trying to move up the card and being in their corner and then. More times or not, the heel like AJ, who's probably been on the receiving end of many Mr. Wonderful or Ron Simmons punches to the face, will <laughs> get in the face of them and dispute how the finish went down and usually end up getting rocked for it. So Brutus the Barber Beefcake was a special guest on one of your tours not too long ago, 30 shows in 30 days. Let's talk about what that experience was like. But before we do, I need to say thanks to our friends at Steven Singer Jewelers. If you're looking to take that next step in your relationship, and if you need the perfect diamond ring to celebrate the occasion, just go to IHateStevenSinger.com and check out the Ready for Love Engagement Ring Collection. And if you need some help picking out the perfect ring, Steven Singer has real expert jewelers on call to help you make your decision. Steven offers virtual video appointments, calls, texts, chats, emails, all with extended hours. So you can get the help you need to make sure you get that yes. Steven is not going to let you screw this up. And of course, you're going to get a great price and amazing quality. And that's why other jewelers hate Steven Singer. But that's why we all love Steven Singer. Steven Singer has been selling online for over 20 years and offers the best guarantee in the business with a full 100-day, 100% money-back guarantee and free shipping. Plus, he's got interest-free financing available online as well. And that's just the beginning. Gifts that say, I love you every single day, backed with decades of experience in the comfort of your own home. It doesn't get any easier than that. So go to IHateStevenSingers.com. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. And get fast, free, and safe shipping. Steven Singer Jewelers. IHateStevenSinger.com. Has there been anybody that, that you had a bad experience with that came in? There was a pretty high-profile uh, case a couple of years ago, or I guess a little over a year ago. We had Brutus the Barber Beefcake on a tour with us, yeah, and uh, it did not did not go well whatsoever. Uh, you know, just from the minute he landed till the minute he decided to take off in the middle of the night after being prepaid on some shows and going home and leaving us stranded. Uh, that was probably the only time it's been really a situation that didn't go well for us in terms of uh, you know experiences. Yeah, I read about that. As a matter of fact, the Brutus Beefcake story and the whole scenario, and it's 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 something that you know, as a promoter, you have to deal with. Sadly, um, I remember actually we we did a tour once with Candelo where Marty Jannetty was supposed to be on the tour, and uh, he didn't show up. And so Candelo would go uh, in front of the audience every day and so Marty Jannetty is not here. He was busted for drugs at the border, and they wouldn't let him in the country. <laughs> That's what. <it> was. <laughs> That was his announcement to the crowd every night before the before the show. <laughs> Oddly enough, Marty Jannetty was my first no show too in, in 2009 when I started running events. <laughs> From 1990 to 2009, no showing Winnipeg. Rocking and rolling, stunting, stolen, brother. Yeah. With the beefcake situation, uh, he he left before the end of the tour. Um, how do you deal with that? Well, luckily, you know, for the, the few markets that were left, we had built a strong rapport in a couple of them, so they were very understanding. 
Uh, you know, we announced to the audience he wasn't going to be there, that he opted to go home. And we were just truthful about the situation. And, I, uh, you know, you know, being a wrestler in the industry and being a promoter, I try to keep my name out of any kind of controversy that's going to prevent me from having opportunities or prevent, you know, people from maybe wanting to come up here if they misunderstand the situation. So it was a very, very sticky one in the sense that, you know, money was stolen from us. He left, you know, in the middle of the night when there was advertised dates, didn't tell anybody and left us in a really bad jam. So I felt, you know, the best, best route was just to be honest with people about what happened. Here's the situation. And I would say 99% of people were understanding and said, great. Uh, you know, we, we more than understand that he wasn't why we were coming. It was just an extra, you know, bonus or garnish that he was going to be there. We're still supportive of what we're doing and uh, we'll, we'll keep on coming out. You know, unfortunately, we did have some new markets on that tour that he didn't show up for, and it did cost us some business and, and, you know, affected our relationship with some media and some sponsors and things of that nature. So it was one of those, you know, shitty situations where we just kind of had to eat it and keep on moving forward and try to build their trust again. But overall, you know, luckily with us touring as long as we have in a lot of these markets, people were very supportive. Uh, you know, they've come to work with me or or know me over the years as a wrestler or performer or sorry, promoter. And uh, we had a lot of support across Canada with people going, hey, you know, we completely get it, you know, whether it was, you know, at the meet and greets or, or whether it be at the show itself, you know, we had a terrible experience with them too. So we completely understand. And, and it really brought, you know, kind of forward uh, an entire wave of people that were sharing similar experiences at our events that they had with him that weren't pleasant uh, that I was unaware of. And I felt really terrible about as a promoter that was taking their money to, to give them this opportunity. So luckily we had a lot of support. People were very understanding. We were able to kind of grow from it and keep on moving forward. I hate that shit, man. Like, you know, first of all, why why leave with only four days left, right? Like, if you're going to leave, leave two weeks out. Like, four days left, stick it out, whatever the problem is or whatever issue he's having. It's like, why why leave so close to the end? That doesn't make any sense, you know? No, and, and, and you know, in all fairness, like, I understand, it was the middle of winter. I understand it's cold up here. He lives in Florida. He's not the most mobile guy at his age. But at the same time, like he would, you know, to his credit, he was drawing us some really good business in sure. these markets. And I know he was making us some good money. Like you, and he was making himself some good money, you know, with the arrangement we had. And I just didn't understand how somebody who simply had to show up and put his, you know, name on a piece of paper and collect a good sum of cash on a nightly basis when he's not working all that much now, uh, could be so angry and bitter every day. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was, a, it was an eye opening experience to just how some people, you know, you know, see their life on a day-to-day basis and what makes them happy and what makes them, you know, upset because, you know, to just be able to show up and get that kind of recognition at that point in your career and make that kind of money, you think you'd be a little grateful or happy for the opportunities that were being allotted to you for, you know, both the, the promoter and, and the fans that are paying to see you. And that was just not the case on, on either end. And it's such an eighties thing to do too. Like that sort of thing, no shows, that's such a rare thing now. But it seems like guys from that era do it quite often. You don't see guys from my generation no showing really, unless they're you know, that's the other side of the coin, real assholes. But that's very, it's a very rare thing. No, and and then the worst part about it was I, I feel guilty in the sense that I've heard horror stories from a few promoters I worked for in the past about him. Um, but I've also heard them about guys like Jake Roberts, who was one of the easiest people I've ever worked with, who did great business and went above and beyond. So. When we booked Ruiz, I said, hey, you know, maybe once he gets up here and he sees it's a bunch of good brothers on the road, you know, just pushing through day to day trying to do this, he'll fit in and everything will be fine. And that's usually the case with just about anybody that comes up here. And uh, it just it just wasn't. And it was just really unfortunate to see uh, that he couldn't make the most of his opportunities, especially he had his book come out around that same time that he was pushing. And we're getting him on all kinds of national and, and regional media to promote it and doing such. I, I just didn't understand what more could have been done to make his, his time more pleasant. AJ, how is that for you and for the rest of the locker room when you see a guy like that who I'm sure everybody respects acting that way? Is it is it demoralizing it or do you guys take it as a lesson learned? So I have a little bit of a different take on the whole situation. I got to ride with Brutus most pretty much every day of that tour and uh, I had zero problems with the guy. Uh, he was great. He uh, took care of a bunch of the boys. He was buying meals. Uh, he was buying beers at the end of the night. I don't think I got to see a whole lot of the the stuff that Danny's uh, speaking about, which may have taken place over the phone or, or, or whatnot. But uh, for the most part, other than, you know, I mean, like, he, you know, he was complaining a little bit about the cold and stuff like that. He was great. I had no personal issues. Uh, I saw none of these issues taking place. And like I said, he was taking care of us in the ring trucks. So, uh, I have a yeah. It, it's different for me in that aspect. So I had no issues whatsoever with him. 
It was great. How about for the rest of the, of the big name guys? Good, good experiences with all of them? Uh, yeah, there's not really, I mean, like Danny covered, Jake. Jake was amazing. Um, getting to ride and just pick his brain for guys at our level was amazing. Uh, I got to uh, ride again with Ron Simmons, and I, oh my God, I, I can't say enough good about that man. Even at one point, leaving uh, a small town Saskatchewan, uh, myself, Ron, and another another man by the name of Alex Anthony, a worker out of the New Jersey area, we're on the tour, and uh, he got pulled over by the cops. So we were on the side of the road in small town Saskatchewan at one point, waiting for another officer to come investigate something on the car, and just standing there and getting to see how Ron was completely calm, cool, and collected about the whole situation, and and just a just a great man. I, I can't speak enough good. So as far as headliners, though, I, I personally just having been on the ground and, and, and you know, with the setup crew and generally riding with the guys, I've had zero issues. They've all been great and, and very, very giving in, you know, as far as like that's cool. critiquing things and, and offering advice. On a side note to that Ron Simmons story, one of the most amazing memories I have of that tour, it was actually after the event in Estevan, Saskatchewan, or sorry, Assiniboia, Saskatchewan. And uh, we were behind them on the highway um, and I didn't realize it as such, but here we are, you know, blasting through to Regina to get to the next show. And I look to my right, and there's Ron Simmons, <laughs> AJ Sanchez, and Alex Anthony lined up standing next to a police car on the side of a Canadian highway. And that's a visual, that's a visual I will take with me for the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Only in wrestling, right? <laughs> right. How was, uh, how was Uvi? Uvi was great, man. And, like, that was one of those situations where a lot of people warned me about what I was getting into, much like Brutus. Uh, you know, maybe even more so just based on some, I guess, of his past behaviors or people's past experiences with him. And I knew I was really kind of taking a chance, uh, you know, based on what I was told. Uh, but after having, you know, psychosis up here in the spring, who did great business for us and having a good response to Conan, who we had uh, earlier this year as well, we wanted to keep the Lucha train rolling. And, uh, you know, to his credit, he was nothing but professional every single day. And for, you know, everything I heard, I did not see any of those issues come out of him. So, for a guy that was up here for, for 30 plus days in the cold from Mexico, right. completely fine, worked really hard every day. And, you know, every, it seemed like almost daily I would show up to the events and who would be in the ring and he'd be training with the younger wrestlers and, and teaching them and showing them stuff. So he, he kind of took on a role as a mentor and leader on the road and uh, really embraced it and was nothing but professional the entire way through. That's cool to hear, man. Yeah, I, I always love working with Hoovy, man. He was he was so good, you know, and, and probably still is, you know. Yeah, he's going hard. Yeah, most definitely. On TV, you know, twenty years ago, he's jacked up and in great shape. Was in the gym every day, and he looks like he's ready for another TV run. Yeah, you got to tell me the quick story here. I was, I was just, uh, I was scrolling through uh, kind of the beefcake experience, but you got to tell the story when you guys did CTV Regina. Do you recall that? What he said with the beefcake? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100% I remember that. That was just one of those days I just shook my head going, you know, this has got to come to an end. And luckily it did. Uh, so we were, we it was it was probably the worst travel day on that tour in regards to just kind of, you know, having to rough it up. Because we were in Medicine Hat the night before, which is like a four and a half, five hour drive overnight to Regina. Um, and Regina is one of those markets that was a real tough go for us to get going. Uh, luckily, it's one of our stronger markets now, but it took a while to get there. Um, but we were very lucky to be afforded a lot of morning TV time on CTV and global TV, which are major, major news stations up here in Canada, especially in Regina. And uh, they allotted us some morning time with Brutus. But we had to drive overnight from Medicine Hat to Regina in order to make the appearance. So it wasn't going to be a pleasant drive. It was going to be a going to be a long night, early morning. And he agreed to do it. And once we got there, you know, it was as if he never agreed to it. And he was tied up and hauled there against his will. Because he was rude with just about everybody. Um, I, I shouldn't say just about everybody, with everybody, you know, from the new staff to the crew, who more times or not are booking the wrestlers to come on the show because they're fans themselves and they just want to meet them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, you know, a, a, a means to an end. They give us the coverage, they get to meet the, the hero they grew up watching. And it was just miserable with just about everyone complaining from the coffee to the water. Nothing was up to his standard. And then uh, we get on the air. And people start asking, and you can go find this online somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, we get on air, and you know, people are asking him about, you know, wrestling now, and what would you say to a, you know, a young man trying to get into the business? And he flat out says, "Don't. The business is dead. Find another avenue. Wrestling isn't the way to go. It's a dead industry." <laughs> and here I am, 
on camera with them going, uh, actually, no, wrestling's great. It's uh, building a lot of momentum. It's never been hotter. We've got a show tonight in Regina. We're going across the country. <laughs> and he just completely tried to sabotage us on, on morning TV. And I had to kind of take the reins and try to try to cover it up. And it just blew my mind that he would go to that extent to, to make the drive there and then try to, to blow everybody up in the process. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's great. <laughs> it's dead. Oh, by the way, we have a show tonight, but don't bother coming. <laughs> yeah, like it, it, we got to Winnipeg a couple days later and we had another one. And I could tell he was very irritated with me because that was online as well. You could see almost every time they asked him a question that I felt could be swayed in a direction I didn't want it to, I just jumped in and answered it for him because I was very concerned about that happening again. And I think he realized that and kind of toned down a little bit. But that, that's kind of what we were dealing with. And it was just. It was just a stress tense, you know, a stress filled, tension filled day on a daily basis. Who is, is there? Some guys, and you, you said something earlier that's so apropos. Is like Canada is still. You mentioned being in a time machine. Still loves the eighties Hogan era wrestlers. Like just go nuts for them. Like no no other country in the world. Hundred percent. Like and as somebody who still follows current wrestling and is a current wrestler myself. You know, I, I, I try to spread it out and bring guys in from this era as well. But from a business end, it, it's it's never as rewarding as, as bringing in guys from that era. And I, you know, I just don't know if it's, they've lasted so many generations or if they're just that prominent in that area that, that parents want to come and they want to bring their kids to meet them as well. But, you know, they're, they're still rock stars up here. Like people, for like Jake, I'll go back to Jake because he did so well for us. Like people were lined up night after night like it was i remember thunder bay the show we had with jake out there it was like minus 50 that night and people were lined up like over a block down the, the street waiting for over an hour to get into to meet jake and it was just absolutely insane to see people going that length for professional wrestling in general but for a specific person uh in 2019 at a wrestling show let's talk a bit about you aj because danny said you have quite the story yourself and we'll get to that after a friendly reminder from our friends at nitsa we're helping to keep us all safe on the roads. It can be a little frustrating, especially if you're in a hurry or running late to find yourself at a railway crossing waiting for the train. And if the signals are going and the train's not even there yet, you may feel tempted to try and sneak across the tracks. Well, don't do that ever. To the naked eye, trains often appear to be further away and moving slower than they are, and they can't stop quickly. Even if the engineer hits the emergency brakes right away, it can take a train over a mile to stop. That's over one mile to stop. By that time, it's too late, and the result could be a potentially deadly crash. Point is, you can't know how quickly the train will arrive. The train can't stop quickly. Even if it sees you, it could end in major disaster. So if the signals are on, the train is on its way, and you just need to remember one thing, stop, because trains can't. Let's talk a bit about you, AJ. Uh, uh, Danny had told me you had a pretty bad crash. Was that during one of these tours? Uh, it was not. No, it was. Uh, it was coming home. My family runs a DJ business here locally, so I was heading home from work and got into a pretty serious head-on car collision in 2015. And so, w w w did you, was it one of those like career enders at first sort of thing? Uh, it, yeah, it should have. I, it put me on the shelf for about 14 months. I had uh, shattered my hip, fractured my pelvis, broke a wrist, broke a hand, a nose. Uh, oh my gosh wear and tear yeah a bunch of fun stuff and then even while in the hospital had a blood clot just prior to surgery a blood clot almost go into my lung or, or my heart or whatever it was so um it put me on the shelf for i was in the hospital for about six weeks uh recovery and all that put me on the shelf for about 14 months and doctors explained that uh because of the hip surgery i've got steel and pins in my hip and my wrist and my hand and uh they had said that uh, you probably should not do anything physical because I've got no cartilage left in my hip. So hmm. it's uh, essentially bone on bone. So I wasn't sure how things were going to go at the time and uh, was just kind of taking it day by day. And then to rehab and all that fun stuff, I had started feeling quite good and, and uh, getting in the gym and, and, and feeling good doing all that stuff and running and, and whatnot. So I decided to, to test the waters after about 14 months and did some shows out in Alberta. And uh, ever since then, I've probably been the, the busiest I ever have been with these tours taking off and, and wrestling at least 100 times a year, give or take, for the last couple of years. That's great. So it didn't affect you overall? You still feeling good in the ring? 
No, I'm still feeling all right. Um, I'm st- other than getting a little lazy and, and gaining a couple pounds, uh, I'm still able to do all the stuff that I, uh, you know, was always able to do. Essentially, uh, I'm a I'm a pretty big guy. I'm about 360 pounds. And I'm still able to do backflips and all that fun stuff. So it hasn't really affected me in the ring just yet. I'm sure a couple of years down the road, though, we'll, we'll be saying something a little different. But uh, so far, so good. So I can't complain. Great blessed. So as we start to to wind down here, I mean, like I said, great concept, and I really uh, appreciate and respect the fact that you do this. I wish it, I wish you were around, you know, twenty five years ago when I was on the local scene because I would have been signing up for every single one of these things. On a bigger basis, for both of you guys, have you had WWE tryouts? Have you worked in the states? Um, what's your overall aspirations? Do you want to continue to forge your own identity? with uh, CWE or, or are you looking to try and get booked in another other other places uh, a little bit of both for myself uh, I've, I've been wrestling now it'll be 17 years coming up you know next month and I've been very blessed I have I've been doing work with WWE I, I actually did a segment with you on television a couple of years back with you Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins as a security guard doing full part stuff really? uh, I, I've, I've done <laughs> yeah it was like four three years ago in Minneapolis we did a pull apart and got knocked over by you guys. Was I nice to um, you? Yeah, you were great. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> and it was actually, I, I have actually told the story how like how good of an experience it was in the sense that just as minimal and unimportant as our role was as an extra and as a security guard, just learning the psychology of where our bodies need to be for the cameras to catch your facials and things of that nature was a really good, rewarding experience uh, just to take away and, and bring back home and, and put your pocket for another day. But I've been very, very lucky. 2010, I'm used pretty regularly on the Midwest loop when they do extra work there. Um, I've done a dark match, you know, prior to SmackDown as well. Um, I've done a PC tryout. I've, I've been lucky enough to go to Japan a few times and do some work with Ring of Honor. Oh, so great. as a performer, I still stay like very motivated and driven that I want to continue pushing forward and, and be successful as a, as a professional wrestler first and foremost. Um, but at the same time, with this thing taking off and, and gaining as much traction as it is it's got my attention as well. And it's kind of, you know, they always say to have a backup plan. I, I know they, they probably don't mean have a wrestling back or a non wrestling backup plan. Um, but just being able to promote these tours and, and provide for myself and my family, if I can continue to do that in the meantime, while pursuing, you know, things as a professional wrestler as well and open up doors, I'm, I'm definitely happy doing that as well. How about you, AJ? Um, yeah. So I've had the opportunity. I've, I've worked, uh, you know, all throughout Canada, uh, down in the U.S. And then in 2012, I got the opportunity to go down and train in Mexico with AAA. And um, uh, as far as like present day, you know, wrestling's kind of paying the bills right now. So just trying to stay as busy as possible. But if something bigger opportunity or something more ever popped up, uh, you know, I would not be opposed to to trying that as obviously the window for something like that is starting to close as time goes on. So I'm just looking to, you know, keep busy. And, and like I said, wrestling's paying the bills. So the busier, the better. Have you guys uh, worked for Tony Candelo before? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> What's that, Danny? Would you say? I said, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was, uh, I did one of his, I, I did the death tour with Omega, I want to say 2004. I've only been wrestling about a year and I they needed a referee last minute. Uh, so I went and, and refereed that tour. Um, that was my first, you know, real experience with Tony and, and seeing the, the work in Carney that he's become a legend for. And uh, from there, I, I've probably done individual, you know, shows for him and, and spot shows, you know, on and off up until about maybe 2012, 13, uh, you know, here and there. But it's been a while since. He still does pop up and show his face once in a while, uh, but he's not running as actively as he once was. How was the death tour for you? Uh, well, he's he's gone on record saying it was the worst one in in, in death tour history oh no um, i think yeah i think omega would probably uh say the same thing we we're on our way to our first show and it, it you know it was downhill from there for the two or three weeks we were on the road whatever it was as we were in two different cargo vans and while driving up to do the first reserve the van went through a creek like went through the ice in a creek and got stuck and we're in the middle of nowhere uh, <laughs> i think like five or six hours away from the last time we saw civilization and uh, this van got stuck in the creek. There was no getting it out. So uh, one of the vans had to drive back and try to go get help or go get another vehicle. While uh, you know myself, Omega, I believe uh, Darren Dalton and a few others had to just sit in this van, sitting in ice on, on top of this creek, just hoping it didn't go any further or that they would come back or we wouldn't get you know mauled by bears. And I uh, had to sit in there for about I think you know ten or twelve hours or whatever it was. 
until they finally were able to turn around and come back and, and get us, but they weren't able to get another vehicle. So for the remaining two or three weeks of that tour, we had to travel on top of the ring inside a cargo van. Oh my so gosh. For three weeks, we're laying on top of steel and filthy mats and, you know, jerry cans. And you're not driving very fast on those roads as, they, as it is, but they are bumpy. So for three weeks, we're just driving up and down, just bumping our backs and our heads on the steel ring beams for the entire tour. So it's <laughs> pretty miserable in that sense. And, uh, and there's a few other accidents that went along the way, but that that was kind of, you know, the norm or what you expected going into the death tour with all the folklore of it that you heard prior going into it. I was lucky. The only the only death tour that I ever did was during the summer. And there's actually, the promoter was Bob Holiday, Doc Holiday, Ooh. And... Um, once again, I mentioned being on the ring truck with Broda and Brian Jewell. I also had to travel on top of the uh, of the ring as it was stacked. And Brian Jewell did drive very fast. And there was quite a few times when one of the bumps <laughs> where I uh, face planted the roof of the van uh, a few times. And then the best of all was uh, Brian Jewell, he's driving on it was the dirt roads, as you know, going up to those reserves. Uh, if you're not traveling over the ice in the winter, you're traveling on super long dirt roads in the summer. And he goes, uh, take the wheel. I'm like, what? He goes, take the wheel. Like, I'm sitting in the back, and he gets up while we're driving about 70 kilometers an hour and makes me take over. He basically stands up, holds one hand on the wheel. As I hold one hand on the wheel, we do a quick switcheroo. And if that wasn't bad enough... About 20 minutes later, I look and he's on top of the uh, and look in the rear view and he's on top of the ring jacking off. <laughs> and I was I was just the ring crew guy wanting to get in the business. And I'm like, am I sure this is the business I want to get into? <laughs> was it just the two of you in the vehicle? Uh, the two of us and bro and caveman Broda. And how did Broda sell that? Uh, he was probably just sleeping or had seen it so many times he didn't sell it at all. <laughs> that's absolutely incredible. And that's a, like, I guess like doing the death tour, like because it's been, you know, you've talked about it and, you know, Edge and Christian have talked about it and things of that nature. It's become like a, a badge of honor for wrestlers to go and, and do this thing. And if I ever like get the opportunity to talk to guys when they're thinking about it, I'm like, you really don't need to. You know, unless you're really green and you just need the work, yeah, and you need your reps in, like stay far away from it because there's not a lot of benefit from it. It's not you know financially all that viable, and then the, the conditions are awful, like you mentioned. Minus you know that, I, luckily I didn't have to deal with the, the masturbation on top of the ring, but <laughs> traveling on it was, was rough enough. And then you get to the towns, you know, you're not you're sleeping on a gym mat, in, you know, in the school gym. There's you'll go three four days without a shower. And, you know, for the tour we did, because we were traveling on the, the rain in these gas cans, we just reeked like gasoline for weeks <laughs> on end, unable unable to bathe, you're not eating right. So, you know, unless you really want to, you know, mark out and say, hey, I, I, I did this and I, I got through it, great. But, you know, as a professional, you probably don't need to if you've got a busy schedule and you're picking up enough work elsewhere, because you're going to probably come back about 30 pounds lighter and maybe lose some hair in the process. <laughs> I, I'd much rather do your tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Last couple of questions for you. When you're talking about the, the tours, what's your game plan for the next few years? As of right now, our game plan is to continue to try to expand further east because we now hit the limit, you know, going to Vancouver if we go any further in the ocean. So we're uh, going to just keep on our focus on, on, on growing and then trying to get out to the Maritimes where we're hopeful, you know, we've got a good local promoter on deck for our Quebec debut. And if that goes well, that's going to be a nice base for us to keep on moving forward east. And if, you know, that continues to go as planned, then we'll hopefully be popping up in the Maritimes and Newfoundland and things of that nature in the next couple of years. Um, but in the, in the meantime, on the home front where we're at, it's just to continue to try to grow. And that's kind of, you know, the struggle with independent wrestling is, you know, when you're dealing with independent wrestling, you're dealing with an independent wrestling budget. So in order to get the word out there to the masses, can be very cost, you know, very costly and not always cost effective. So we just got to keep on hitting the ground and just keep on having good shows and hope that great talent keeps on coming up that represents the brand well and just hope that groundswell takes off a little bit faster than than it is now and we can hopefully see you know some benefit you know going on with this wrestling boom right now in other parts of the world. And you do two of these tours a year or three? We did we did two this year. We'll probably be doing three next year. That's great, man. Great. Final question for you. AJ, what's your favorite match that you ever had? Oh, boy. Whoa, uh, there's so many. Um, 
one of the matches that stick out for me uh, was on one of the tours in, uh, in we did a show in uh, somewhere in Ontario, one of the northern towns. I don't recall, but it was me and my brother who was also uh, working at the time. We got to have a match with uh, Road Dog and Billy Gunn, and uh, we're in. I don't know. We drew probably 150, 200 in this particular town, and uh, Billy and Road Dog were arguing all day about how Billy always gets to do the comeback and, and Road Dog always has to take the heat and, and, and whatnot. So Road Dog's like, hey, how about tonight I get the comeback? Um, so after arguing, Road Dog uh, uh, finally got uh, got what he wanted. He got to do the to hit the comeback for the match that night. And uh, um, he came to us earlier in the, in the day and he said, hey, I'm going to hit Billy's comeback. I'm, as I'm doing this, I'm going to be doing everything Billy does will end on, on his finish. And uh, I said, yeah, no problem. So minutes later, after we had left the room, uh, Billy comes in. He's like, all right, what did that a-hole tell you? And uh, we're like, well, this is what he wants to do. He's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Uh, when he hits the famous, sir, kick out at one, and then we'll finish the match, however. So Road Dog's running the comeback on myself and my brother. And uh, as he's doing it, he's looking at Billy, literally flipping him off and laughing at him the whole time. So we're, we're having tons of fun as all this is going on. Uh, Road Dog hits a Famouser, looks at Billy, flips him off, pins me, and then I kick out at two, and Road Dog just bursts out laughing on all fours, <laughs> can't control his laughter, Go, goes out, like slaps Billy and tags him. Billy comes in, hits his finish, one, two, three. And even in the process, as Billy is laughing uh, over top of uh, my brother, um, Road Dog drops an elbow on Billy and runs out, which ends up having Billy hit my brother in the face and bloodies his nose and all that fun stuff. But uh, that, that match always, <laughs> that match always sticks out to me and it might be online. I don't recall, but that match sticks out to me uh, just because they were so, so giving and so, so great to us and getting to work with them as much as we got to was, was an absolute blessing. Uh, and we got to learn a lot. And then just having that story to go with, uh, sure. <laughs> there's so much more, but that's one that's, that sticks out for me. Yeah. How about you, Danny? Man, uh, if, if I had to take off the top of my head, some of my favorite matches, um, maybe for me as a fan, would probably be getting the opportunity to wrestle matches against guys like Jake and Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, and, and things of that nature. I definitely had matches that were a million times better than all of those that were more, you know, business-driven and, and helped draw the house for us with, you know, whether it be in an angle. But for, for me, as a, you know, as an individual, my favorite matches would probably be working with guys like that. These are the easiest matches in the world. And as somebody who grew up as a wrestling fan, you know, my entire life, this is, you know, the only thing I wanted to do. You know, as much as you become like numb to it being in the business for so long, it becomes just like the ordinary everyday thing to do. I still find it pretty cool, you know, when you're you know across the ring from a guy like Jake Roberts and 10 minutes later you're taking a DDT and the crowd goes crazy. And it's like those kind of cool moments kind of validate kind of why you got into wrestling and, and, and kind of inspired and shaped your whole career path. So I, I probably think some, one of those matches specifically is some of my favorite. That's great, man. Well, like I said, much respect to you guys for doing these tours and, uh, I'm very excited that that you are. It's great for the boys. It's it's great for the fans, and you're getting some good buzz on it too. So, uh, uh, congratulations on on creating something new and something different, which is what you have to do to to make it in this business. So, I think it's a great idea, and uh, and, and all all respect for me for sure. Well, if you ever want to do one, we'll make sure there's a spot in the ring truck for you. I'll quit after four shows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, stay safe on the road, and uh, thanks thanks for, for, for doing this. Thank you. Thank you.